Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. My name is Tani Levitt, and I'm joined by Jerry Meyer, college basketball's all-time assist king and college basketball's recruiting philosopher-in-chief. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tani. Good to be here with you. Yeah, it's our, it's our first podcast together. I've, I've, I've sat in and produced a couple of the shows you and traded, but you and I haven't been on the mic together, so uh, I, I'm excited. We've got Big Ten ACC Challenge to talk about. Obi Toppin is mandatory uh, point of conversation these days. 2020 recruits that Jerry might have a little higher than the composite. Um, and Jerry is going to tell us which low major point guard he compared to one of my personal favorite point guards, Eddie House, last night. But first, yesterday we discovered that Jerry is a master philosophizer. So Jerry, what philosophy were you drawing on when you told me equanimity is important in scouting? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the skeptics uh, are big on that. You know, don't don't make judgments that sway you emotionally or maintain your emotion, your your equanimity while you make judgment. That's and, fair. Um, I try to I, actually. I think it helps me as a scout. I try to think of that. Anytime I get emotional about a player, <clears throat> I always feel like I'm making a mistake here because if I'm, especially if you're rooting for him to do well, you find yourself feeling that like you're his daddy, his fan. You know, the, I call it the daddy twitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always tell who the dad is of the kid who makes the play because the dad's twitching up there. But when, as a scout, when you start wanting a player to do well. You got to think, man. Maybe I got him a little overranked because <laughs> yeah. I'm trying too hard for this guy. Like, let him just be who he is, and then get it right. Nah, I don't. I don't envy you that because pretty much any game I turn on, I find myself rooting for somebody, and I. I don't know if I like. I could turn that off. Like, it's it's my whole yeah. life as a fan. Well, it's a different ma- mindset than a fan, of course. <clears throat> I don't. I'm not supposed to be a fan. Uh, to get the objectivity to you know, accurately rank these guys and stuff. You know, and we're always getting accused of. You know, if they go to Duke, we rank them higher. If they sign with Oklahoma State, we drop them down. Uh-huh. And I, I don't think there's a whole lot of truth to that. I think, especially maybe with bad scouts, but the good scouts trying to just do the best professional job you can do. Yeah, good scout has to be a fan of good basketball and, and nothing else. So uh, last night, I guess two nights ago already, the Big Ten ACC Challenge tipped off, and there, there were kind of some uh, uh, teaser games on Monday night. But last night, the action started in earnest. We had Louisville and Michigan, which we'll get to in a second. But the late game, which was originally billed as the headliner, was uh, Duke at Michigan State. And, and Duke had this from start to finish. I mean, we were just talking off air. You know, it, it was no contest at all. Um, true. You know, Michigan State not looking that great. I think Michigan State struggles to score, and especially against a well-executing defense, which I thought Duke's defense was great, um, primarily defending Winston in the pick and roll. And um, the big men for Duke, I thought, it did a great job moving their feet. Vernon Carey showed me a little bit because that had been a question about him, you know, how mobile is he out on the perimeter. But um, great team defense by Duke. Every time you talk about team defense, I got excited because, like, that's that's one of the hardest things as a fan to understand. To when you see it on the court, and and, and to hear you say it, it really vindicates what I was what I was seeing on there. And and you also mentioned Javon Delorier, really good game. Uh, I thought it was an X factor. <clears throat> Came up big for him. Uh, energy. If they can get him playing like that, 
That's going to be a big bonus for him. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the funniest thing for me, at the end of the game, you saw Coach K and Coach Izzo kind of kind of talking to each other as they shook their hands, and there was like a knowing look on both of their faces like Coach K said, yeah, we knew what to do against you because your team is so one-dimensional. One I, I, I don't know if that's what he's saying. I couldn't read lips, but that's just kind of what I imagine was happening in that conversation. Well, I think Coach K is kind of thinking i'm glad i have my team <laughs> you have your team <laughs> there there's certainly you know if you were just gonna if you're just gonna look at those rosters based off of you know the recruiting pedigrees obviously it's it's not in the same uh, it's they're not in the same it's tiers not in the at same all. ballpark and i tell you michigan state really needs rocket watts to play better yeah um, you know, he needs to live up to his just, name it's just a fact there or they got or they got to get better play at that position and they they Winston is like on an island out there, and he needs some help. Yeah, I mean, like, like I was saying off-air, a, lo- a lot of these guys on Michigan State right now are really trick-or-treat on offense. They're either really hitting or really just looking absent. So they, they, have, what to, uh, they have what to worry about. And I guess it wasn't, it wasn't a great night for the state of Michigan as a whole because uh, you know Michigan came fresh off their win in Maui. I'm sorry, not Maui, but the battle for Atlantis uh, moved from unranked to number four, which is the, the biggest jump in the 70 years of the AP poll. Go travel into number one, Louisville, um, and, and they just got romped last night. Yeah, they did from the get-go. Um, that first half performance on defense by Louisville is one of the best I've ever seen. And, I mean, just completely took Michigan out of their offense, and Michigan looked like a juggernaut yeah, <laughs> the last I mean, few games, and then all of a sudden – they look horrible. You know, I don't know if there's such thing as a hangover or a letdown, but if there is, that would be an example of one. And that's just a hard place to play. And Louisville is. is extremely good. And, man, were they good on defense. I mean, communicating, moving their feet. Their big guys were moving the, their feet. You know, like it looked like everyone could guard the ball. Yeah, when when a college basketball team is, is playing – a really good defense. The team they're playing against often forgets to run their offense, but it wasn't that case. They, Michigan was running sets, and Louisville was just sticking with them for 30 seconds of the shot clock, and and that to me is is really outstanding. You know, Louisville. This was their first real uh, contest of the season. They were number one in the AP, number one in Ken Palm, But people wondered, you know, is this for real? And I think they answered a lot of questions last night. Um, if there were questions, they I would think they were answered. Um, and now when they very travel good, to very Kentucky, good physical and talented team. Yeah, so when they travel to Kentucky later this month on the 28th, you have to assume that, th- that this is that's going to be a bloodbath out there. Now, uh, from, from the Michigan perspective, before we get back to uh, Louisville's defense, I kind of thought going into this game that this was a no-lose situation because they just proved last week that they, they could win against good teams. You know, they beat Iowa State, they beat UNC, they beat Gonzaga. And so going into Louisville straight after this tournament win kind of felt like they, they were working with, with house money. But after that game, I kind of feel really deflated in the way I feel about Michigan. Yeah, it's a funny thing, you know, there probably was an overreaction after the tournament, and we thought Michigan was the greatest team ever. <laughs> now I feel like Louisville is the greatest team ever. It's college basketball. It's tough to play on the road. And when a team just sort of stomps on you to start the game when you're on the road and you're just struggling to make passes, much less shots – um, sometimes you can get hammered, and you're and you're still a good team. You get know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I mean, 
it's it's college basketball. There's going to be bad nights, and Louisville made them have a bad night. Like I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything about oh Michigan was cold. They just couldn't hit. Well, they couldn't hit because Louisville was all over them. They're, every shot was highly, highly contested, and they weren't rhythm shots. I mean, he had to work so hard to get mm-hmm. every shot. I mean, it was almost painful to watch. Yeah, and I, I kind of felt like the, even though Michigan was definitely getting outplayed, it felt like a bit of a close game until that Jordan Wara block. And then after that, and, you know, the floodgates just opened. All of a sudden, Louisville's like, okay, this, this is ours. And, and, you know, last night you were tweeting the whole time, this, this started and ended with Louisville's defensive play. Uh, and what was really interesting to me was that the, the guy that you highlighted was Darius Perry. Now, people who are box score scouting are going to see he played 20 minutes, so only half the game, just three points, two assists, one steal, and, and, they, and they're going to be saying, wait, this, this is the guy? But for you, you know, uh, this, he, you said he started uh, the whole Louisville defense. So tell me what exactly you meant when you were saying that, that he uh, kick-started that defensive effort. Yeah, his pressure on the ball. And he took Simpson out of the game um, right away. I mean, Mich- Simpson has to play better, be more effective, more efficient. And he only had three assists for Michigan to really play well. And Darius was just – he's a, just so physical. Mm-hmm. And he's always had that physical prowess. But he was locked in, in a stance. I mean, he, he came to the game with a mission to – try to destroy uh, Simpson, you know, try to cut the head off, you know. And as a team, they did it as a team. You know, he had support, he had help, but I thought he was the spearhead. So it was kind of interesting. He set the tone, and then Kimball kind of carried him. He played more of the minutes the second half, mm-hmm. and, um, and and he did a fine job. It was interesting to see the rotations, the playing time with the Louisville players, what Chris Mack was doing. But I thought he kind of got exactly what he wanted from Adarius Perry. You go out there and be a defensive juggernaut, and then you know you might only play twenty minutes, but you were invaluable for yeah. that win. And so I looked. I looked after after you tweeted that. I, I looked back at his uh, high school recruiting page on twenty four seven Sports, and he was a top one hundred recruit according to the composite. But I looked at, at, at the analysis of his defense, and it was uh, Perry is a ball hawk on defense as he slides his feet well and puts effort into that end of the floor. And you know we saw that all through last night. And I was wondering, do you think that there has been like a, a notable growth on the defensive end for him since he got to Louisville? Oh, for sure. And part of that's just college basketball. <laughs> You know, yes, AU teams do play defense. You know, they try to win their games. It's not just a free-for-all out there like it sometimes is portrayed in the media. And a lot of people's, you know, it's a a narrative, a popular narrative, which is not accurate. But in college, it's – there's such an attention to detail. And obviously colleges work – Way more on defense than most other teams, you know. Have a lot more you, time to you practice. establish that defense. You know, like when the season starts, you know, we always say, "Wow, their defense is way ahead of their offense." You know, the offense will come along later in the year. And a lot of coaches you have that theory. You you establish your defensive mentality. It's the first thing you do in preseason. So just the work ethic, the accountability in college uh, to your team, your teammates. You know, everyone moving together, everyone on a string, everyone accepting their responsibilities, helping each other out, moving together, rotating, you know, all that stuff. And then you got a guy like Darius, you say, look, buddy, you, you can dominate defensively. 
so you're the spearhead. You're you're the front of the attack, and he is obviously taking ownership of that. And I think I think he's maxing out on his abilities, mm-hmm. which we saw when we scouted him. But you know, you get bigger, stronger, and and the intensity of the college game, and um, the sense of urgency and the importance to execute and be at one hundred percent every possession. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is just the depth. You know, there there are no bad players on the college roster, and on your AAU team, if you're the best defender, chances are there's no one who can replace you uh, on that end of the floor. And and to be honest, I wasn't going to talk about this, but everything you were saying about being an instigator, an initiator, and an X factor on the defensive end really reminds me of of what Daryl Morsell has been able to do for Maryland this year. You know, he's been kind of a question mark for the first uh, couple years he was in College Park, but just this year he's really, really locked down, and I'm pumped to see him go up against uh, Seton Hall because you know Miles Powell. Yeah, that'll that's, be a matchup. That's two that's big, be, two big bodies out love, on the perimeter. I love that. So. So tonight we've got uh, let's let's uh, move on from Louisville and Michigan. That was awesome. So tonight we've got two really exciting games. Uh, Maryland kind of just randomly got Notre Dame, so that's not really an interesting game for me. But Ohio State versus UNC and, and Virginia traveling to Purdue. Which of those two games is uh, more exciting to you? Um, you know, probably OSU UNC. Um, I don't know. I don't look at it that way. <laughs> I mean, like, exciting, like, you know, because I'm excited to watch Virginia play. I haven't really – I haven't seen them yet this year. Um, uh, so I'm curious to watch that. I've been blown away by a lot of the, their the, their defensive scores. I mean, teams are, are hard, having a hard time to score against Virginia, so I'm, I'm interested to look at that and, you know, see if Purdue can score on them. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm a Cole Anthony guy, uh, you know – I've always thought he's an, an extreme talent. So I enjoy watching him play, and I want to get a good look at o, uh, Ohio State. I haven't had a good look at them, so I'm kind of excited about both games because I'm still you know, seeing teams, some teams, for the first time. So that's what is exciting to me. Yeah, and, and for me, it's just funny. I feel like the Purdue, Purdue and Virginia is going to be like first to 55 takes the game. It might be first to 40. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, Ken Palm has it at 50 to 48 for Purdue. Well, the thing about Purdue, like, I watched them play against Marquette, and they had a really good first half, and then looked great on offense. I mean, running, you know, Painter can coach, they're running, they're executing like nice action on offense, getting shots. And then Marquette took their defense to another level the second half, and took them out of their execution. You know, it's kind of like what Louisville did to Michigan. You know, the shots weren't there. Purdue just didn't look like they had anyone who could create off the dribble. You know, when the play doesn't work, who's the player that's going to make the play? So, man, Purdue might struggle to get to 40. I mean, I don't know. Virginia might too. (laughs) I'm not not knocking Purdue. I'm just saying you play a a – Team defense, a team that plays defense as a team like a Virginia, and you are just reliant on running your plays, and you don't really have that quick playmaker. And so, look who beat Virginia, um, you know, at the beginning of the tournament two years ago. A team who had a bunch of guys who could put it on the floor mm-hmm. and were hard to guard one on one. I think that's what gives a team like Virginia trouble. I, I don't think you're going to X and O and execute 
a lot of points against Virginia's defense. <laughs> it's it's really hard to out X and O yeah. Tony Bennett, even if you well, they're yourself... so sound on defense. Yeah. They're just so sound. You you need a guy who can break down one of their guards, get in the lane, create a two on one situation, and to get you a shot. It's hard to do with just plays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for us for the uh, for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk about some scouting philosophy uh, and talk about some guys in the class of 2020 who uh, Jerry might have higher than the composite. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. And we're back, and it's time to talk about someone who was not on many ra- people's radar to begin the season, but now is on on everybody's draft board, on everybody's must-watch TV, Obi Toppin. This dude is just an efficiency monster is an understatement. Last night, obviously, Obi Toppin is a small forward slash power forward for Dayton. Last night, they played Houston Baptist, won 99-68. It was close for a second, but then they kind of just pulled away. He put up 17 points on just 7-10 shooting. And the crazy thing, though, is that he was a zero star, according to the 24-7 sports composite, coming into college. And... Now, what, what was his ranking? Because he not was not ranked. Like, yeah, okay. he, well, that he wasn't ranked. Me, yeah, yeah, he wasn't he, ranked he at all. Flew under the radar. He, yeah, he was, he was some random kid from New York, and mm-hmm. and now he's projecting into the bottom half of the first round in a lot of NBA mock drafts. So, uh, I don't know. Did you see him at all in, in high school at all? If I did, I don't remember. Yeah, you and, know. And now yeah, that's just honest answer. So. The, yeah. the answer is no. <laughs> I might have been in the gym when he was playing, but it did not register. With well, there are, there are a lot of kids who play basketball in this country. I don't know if people know that. <laughs> uh, yes, there are, and a lot of them are very good, and that's why we see the upsets that we see because three stars can beat five stars. It's true. One, you know, When I was in college, I was doing a paper about uh, the NCAA, and one of the things I found was that academics say that you are an elite athlete as soon as you make it to the D1 level. doesn't matter how, how good a D1 school you are. You don't have to be a professional to be an elite athlete. You are already at the top creme de la creme no matter where you are if you're playing D1. So Obi Toppin, the fact that he went to Dayton, are, you know, he's, he's a really good player. So now now that he's putting up these monster numbers and, and he's he's jumping up people's draft boards, what are you seeing from Obi Toppin as a prospect that that stands out to yeah, you? There's a lot to like about him. And, you know, there's the obvious. He's efficient, as you pointed out. Uh, I think he makes an impact on defense as well as offense. And one thing that really stands out to me is his awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very engaged player. Um, for example, zone offense. When Houston Baptist was playing zone last night, and he was hands up, active, making cuts into the open spot. He's an active offensive rebounder. He gives effort. He goes to the glass, and and he does. He doesn't just run in there. He runs in with a purpose. You know, like it seems like a very intelligent player. He's got like a quarter of Dayton's rebounds this year. Yeah, he 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 has a nose for the ball. And he has an energy along with that awareness. 
A uh, random example of a play, uh, he helped out on a drive early in the game last night, and ball gets kicked out to his man. <clears throat> he, there's no way he could recover to get out to him. So instead of just standing and watching, he, like, you know, prepared for the rebound, like moved to the weak side. Guy makes the shot. Well, he just immediately runs, gets the ball, quick outlet pass on the inbounds, and then one more pass by Dayton, and they're shooting a layup. You know, that play started. That's with, coaching dream. And, and, and that's, again, you, you'd never see that in the stat sheet because you don't get a hockey ex- assist in basketball. And he didn't get a rebound because the ball went in. Mm-hmm. You know, So no one knows if you just look at the box score. That was a great play. And then even when like he's not in the action and he's too far away to get in the action, I like the way he leaks out. Mm-hmm. You know, He cherry picks. But he should cherry pick. Why just stand there? And just not be a participant, you know. He he's always looking to get. He's active, mentally, physically, to get to open spaces. Um, I think he has great spatial awareness and a great feel to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, and and anecdotally, I had noticed watching his games in Maui that I felt like he was a really efficient player. So I went I went to look up, and sure enough, he has the 14th best effective field goal percentage in the country at 72.5%. And that's the kind of stuff that you see from like a DeAndre Jordan type, someone who's getting you know the vast, vast majority of their shots as dunks. And yet, nearly 30% of his shots are from the three-point range, which just speaks to the quality of the shots that he's getting, that he's, that he's picking good three-point shots to make because yeah, he's, he's... He doesn't take a lot of them. I think he'll start taking more. Like, I looked at some stuff. I think last year, didn't he shoot like 53% from three-point line? Oh, now you're going beyond my research. Well, I think he, I think he but he was <laughs> 11 of 21. Oh, wow. So he does not, you know, last year he didn't take, I think he's taking more threes this year, but he's yeah. still shooting close to 50%, I think, from three. Yeah, he is. Um, where's, where's he at? He's at 43%. That's really um, good. That's really, really which good. Which is great, but that that's why he's efficient. He takes good shots for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can shoot the ball. I mean, I, I think he uh, he would be high on my draft board. So so moving forward, the interesting thing is that obviously Dayton's in the A10, and for the rest of the season, they until potentially the NCAA tournament or maybe the A10 tournament if they make it to the finals against like a VCU, they only have four more games against teams in the top 50 of Ken Palm. And so as a scout... How how do you evaluate players when the two teams aren't evenly matched? Well, you just you have to take that into account, you know. But you know, just because the opposition is weak doesn't mean the team. Be, you know, like it's like in football, the whole Clemson and the ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have two things at the same time. You can be in a weak conference and still be the best team in the country. Um, it's, it makes it more difficult to evaluate. Yes, but I mean, if you know, you, I don't know how to tell you how you do it <laughs> because what you're looking at is translation. Same thing you look at. Um, you know, you can have kids in high school that average 30 points a game, all state, but you know that 30 is not going to translate at the high major level. Yeah. You know, and so I don't know if that answers the question, but you know. It, if if the if the competition is inferior, like significantly inferior, then you're looking to see domination, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're looking to see okay, would that would that move translate against you know, would that bucket that move that led to a basket would it translate against a bigger, stronger, you know, better athlete? And that's 
what makes it difficult. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, 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 I want to preface what I'm about to say. I am not a scout, certainly not anywhere near Jerry's level. But one thing that was exciting to me was to see that, you know, Obi Toppin's game looked very similar last night to what he was doing in Maui against the high, high major competition, making the same smart decisions, being there for rebounds, helping out his yeah, team. And, that, and that's that a good point. That's a good point. You know, I think we're getting a feel of what he is, you know, and he doesn't have to play against Kansas every single night yeah. to for us to say, okay, he's great. That would be really you know, unfair. He can be <laughs> – but, yeah. I can mean, you imagine 30 games against Kansas? That'd that would, be brutal. That would, that would be tough. <laughs> that would be really but, tough. But, um, you know, if a guy can play, a guy can play. And we see guys in the NBA all the time who didn't go to a blue blood, didn't even play power five basketball, and – they do plenty well. If you can play, you can play. And so last night, obviously, uh, Dayton was playing Houston Baptist. And one thing I was surprised to see, I know nothing about this guy. You said Jalen Gates, the point guard from Houston Baptist, was reminding you of Eddie House. And that is a yeah. name. It only lasted a, like 10 minutes. Oh, it no? Was, it was a, yeah, it, he cooled off. They started guarding him <laughs> a oh, little yeah. tougher. But, oh, he was popping in some tough shots. And, it, yeah, he, he immediately made me think of Eddie House. <laughs> Do you think maybe a, a graduate transfer in a couple of years to a, to a high major team to get an impact score off the bench? I, I have no idea what this guy's doing, but yeah, I don't know. There's a good chance I'm, I'm pulling him up right here. Uh, there's a good chance he did, you know he caught some magic in a bottle, oh, just, as I put the... it. Like he had a, he started out that game, he kept him in the game, uh, making tough shots. You know, looks like he's having a good year. He's averaging 17.5, hitting 40 percent on his threes. Um, so the only problem is this is his fourth year of competition. So oh yeah, they will, not be, a, they will not be a transfer. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so if if, you, if you're topping out at that level, senior year, yeah, you're probably probably not moving up to the to the mid major or even high, or the high major or even mid major level. That's probably that's probably not going to happen. But El- eligibility will be up. Eligibility yeah. will be up. Well, maybe maybe we'll see him in the Euro League or the G League next year. Um, Let's move on to some people who are definitely on our radars. I want to talk to you about the class of 2020 and some of maybe the back-end five stars who uh, you might have a little higher than the composite. Obviously, the composite takes uh, recruiting rankings from across the industry, compiles them into one, mixes them up, and and gives us a a recruiting soup. But um, I, w- I want to hear what Jerry has to say about these guys yeah. on his own. So, so who are a couple guys who you think that maybe the rest of the industry should right. be a little higher on? Well, we'll skip the top ten, but I will say I love uh, Kay Cunningham, <laughs> and I would have him at number one. He's number two in the composite. But oh, you I mean, have him number one? I would, yeah. I, yeah. I think he's phenomenal. Number one in I Oklahoma think he's State's a modern-day player. I think he's a 6'6". Six, six, the six seven athletic point guard. Point guard reminds me a lot of uh, Brandon Roy when you know before, pre, his before knees. the injury, right when he was explosive. Uh, but I number sh- eleven, Josh Joshua Christopher, uh, really like him. I would have him closer to like a number five, but I just think he's a physical, do everything shooting guard who's a very good defender, rebounder, and he's you, if you need a bucket, he gets you a bucket. So if what what's his go to if if you say to him, I need you know it's it's ten seconds left in the yeah. clock to tie game. What do you think is his go to move? Yeah, you know he's a physical driver, uh, very good at drawing fouls. I mean, oh, that, I mean that's that's the best. He's a big body, strong guy, and he, he gets separation off the dribble. 
So he, he does a good job getting his body on people and then pulling up for jump shots. You know, and then the separation is created. Yeah, I mean, that's really exciting because, uh, you know, me, me and Kevin Flaherty last week, we were talking about Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Kevin was a bit disappointed in so far this season was that when Edwards needs to get a bucket, he, he usually is staying behind the three-point line. And when you have someone who's going to be driving and drawing fouls, that's usually you're more likely to get those shots. So that's really exciting. Um, yeah, I'm looking through the list here. Uh I think Namari Burnett at 24 is going to Texas Tech. I think he's a tremendous player, maybe a little higher. I'd have him. You know, the composite looks pretty good. <laughs> I don't see anything that out of order. I'll tell you, a guy I really like, you know, I don't know if you rank him much higher than 19. Um, I think you could. I don't think it's criminal that he's at 19, but Sharif Cooper, point guard, is going to Auburn. He is dynamic. Uh, I know the Auburn fans have liked watching Jared Harper play. There's some Jared Harper with Cooper, um, but he's an electric player. He is going to be fun to watch. He's fast. He can really play up tempo. Yes. Well, then Auburn, <laughs> and then he fits right in at Auburn. He, he will. I think he could galvanize that team. Galvan- um, wait, wait, galvanize like that, that team? Yeah. Wow. Well, well, you know. I expect, you, it, I expect well, that You could want to play fast, but to have a guy who can really play fast <laughs> and play well while he plays fast. And under control. And can be that point guard. Yeah, I mean, right. He's going to make good decisions at a high rate of speed. That That's what you're looking for. Dawson Garcia, want to talk about him. Mm-hmm. He is 31 in the composite, going to Marquette. Man, I love his game. 6'11". I mean, he screams NBA player to me. Well, wasn't he the guy who just committed with Evan Daniels last week? Yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah. We were watching that yeah, in the Daw- office. Yeah, Dawson Garcia. He uh, shows him over Indiana. Lefty, right? Yeah, yeah. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he can handle the ball. Um, he's a stretch center, stretch four type guy. Mm-hmm. And he puts a lot of pressure on the defense. He's very skilled, and then he's he's got a little athleticism to him, but high high skill level at six eleven. So, so when he's at Marquette, what will you be looking for? A in terms of improvement from his game, but like also like what do you want Marquette to do to bring the best out of him? Well, he needs to get more physical. So what he does in the weight room mm-hmm. and in in his training. Uh, to get his body better and to get stronger, that's going to be critical for him because he is so highly skilled. And, you know, I think what they're going to – I would think they utilize him as an inside-outside guy, you know, try to create mm-hmm. mismatches with him. I would think a at lot – At the four or at the five? Either or. And, you know, it doesn't matter. Well, I yeah, asked but he's because, gonna he's gonna play one of those two. Well, I asked that because you know Jaron Jackson when he was at Michigan State, he mm-hmm. he was forced to play the four, uh, and and didn't look nearly as good at Michigan State as he has in the NBA where he's been playing stretch five and and you know people uh, criticized Tom Izzo uh, for playing a senior who was kind of like a real bruiser, you know, real center, uh, and, and putting uh, Jaron Jackson at the four. And so I was just curious if yeah. there was a similar situation with Dawson Garcia. I don't know. I, I would trust Izzo on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, well, he's always like yeah, having. Two you know, I don't. I don't know that it really matters. I mean, th- there's an advantage for him at the five if you're going to try to do perimeter stuff with him. So you're mm-hmm. bringing the five man away from the basket. You're hoping, but you know, you can play the five and then be guarded by the other team's four when they know you're going to do that. You know, so I, 
I don't typically overthink that stuff. I, I, I think more in terms of action and where that action takes place on the court. Mm-hmm. So, like, D- Garcia as a high ball screener, I mean, what yeah. a threat. Yes, yeah, he can go down, he can, he can stretch it out for the pop. That puts a lot of pressure on the defense. I, I think he's a guy, you know, that he sets a back pick. So his man feels the need to help, you know, to provide some support. And then he steps out for the three-point shot. You know, stuff you do with a big man who has legit three-point range. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that that's interesting. And we're, we're going to continue checking in on people you're interested in in the 2020 class over yeah, the course of the great. season. Yeah, I love, love talking about these guys. Yeah, yeah. because it's, it's hard. Hey, because I know something about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and those, I, I've, I've scouted them. Those of, us, those of us at home, like it's hard. You know, one of the things that I'm hoping we'll be able to do at some point, maybe during the offseason, is a, a week on recruiting, you know, to talk, to show listeners like, Okay, you're sitting at a high school game. You know what? What? What should we be looking for? And we can do that sure. at a later date. You know, it's just interesting because these are. It's, it's a little hard for us, you know, regular people, unlike you, uh, to see at home. So that, that's that's really yeah. exciting. I think I think the process of scouting can, can be an interesting thing to talk about. All right. Well, well, that, that's that's about going to do it for us. But we've got there. There are a lot of good games for the rest of the week and the weekend. And so I, I, I was curious. Do you have any games circled this weekend? I do not. I, I only know what games are tonight. I'm kind of like a day by day person. Amazing. Well, I have. <laughs> I get up in the morning. I look at the schedule. You know, unless I saw something advertised, you know, I, I kind of take them one night at a time. Well, let me tell you, the noon slot on Saturday Does it is look good? stacked. Three tremendous games concurrently. So you have Penn State traveling to OSU. A really important game for Penn State because you know they they really blew it against Ole Miss last week. And but the numbers really like them there. They're pretty decent, top thirty in Ken Palm. Uh-huh. And so that's that's going to be their first real uh, conference test. So that that's that's the first one. The second one still at noon. Arizona has their first road game and their first real challenge at Baylor. And and for me, yeah, that's an interesting game. Could you imagine like that game could easily be like ninety to eighty seven. You know, yeah, like two sure. really, really efficient offensive teams, mm-hmm. uh, and and an exciting challenge for Nico Mannion. Like you know, we you know he's he's shooting up the the player rankings on the year, but he hasn't you know he hasn't played anybody. And then the last game we got Florida visiting Hinkle Fieldhouse playing Butler, and last night you know lost among the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Kamar Baldwin dropped thirty one for Butler, and he's quietly rocking a 50-40-90 season. So like that that noon slate yeah, he on can Saturday. Play. He's a very talented player. Yeah, when you see Kamar Baldwin, what are you looking at? Uh, he's dynamic. Uh, he's got a, a strength to his game, and. He can get buckets. You know, he's just one of those guys. I don't, he's really good. Uh, but it's kind of, you know, he's he's a skilled. He has the finesse of his game, but there's a powerness to mm-hmm. him or a powerfulness to him that is very, very difficult to deal with. And, you know, he's a smart player. He's a you know, complete player. But mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a dominant presence out there. And so much of it, you know, I keep, I don't know, I keep striking me how important strength is in basketball mm-hmm. and, and mass, you know, yeah. size. And strength, you, you can be good and not have that, but boy, it sure does help. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, body type wise, like when 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 I watched Kamar Baldwin uh, last year, honestly, I, I thought of Marcus Smart a lot. There you go. Not, not because yeah. not because just like of anything in terms of their playing style. Like I really don't think that it's so similar. You know, Smart, especially nowadays with the Celtics, is definitely a pass first guy, but. Just in terms of the strength and bearing down and say you're not going to beat me, you know. Yeah, it, 
when you're physically strong, it really helps you be mentally strong. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, but a lot of times the two work together. And then, you, and then if you have a skill level that's high, this. look out. I mean, those are the dudes that keep going up the charts and keep playing at higher levels. All right, well, watch out. I especially think that the uh, Florida-Butler game is one for you to watch, obviously because, uh, you know, Butler, I'm not sure when their next uh, really great game is. So that'll do it for us this week. You should follow Jerry at JerryMeyer247 for scouting and political philosophy on Twitter. He's uh, the director of basketball scouting and resident philosophizer here at 24-7 Sports, and it's uh, always a pleasure to talk basketball yeah, with enjoyed you. enjoyed it. Yeah, so uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're feeling kind, do us a favor, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'm Tony Levitt, and for uh, Jerry Meyer, this is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show, and we'll see you next week.